Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you're just joining us uh, this week for the first time or for the first time in a while, uh, you may not know that we're in the middle of a preaching series through the Sermon on the Mount, this uh, great block of teaching that Jesus gives in Matthew's Gospel. And our text this morning, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, is Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, and verses 16 to 18. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 6, and 16 to 18. So if you're paying attention, that means that we're skipping over a chunk. We're skipping over verses 7 to 15 today which contain that precious model prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. That's where Jesus taught it. Don't worry, we'll come back to those great verses uh, again next week, but today we're skipping over them so that we can look at this larger section of teaching that uh, those famous verses are embedded in. As we look at these verses today, the bits that come right before and right after the Lord's Prayer, I think it will be fairly obvious that they go together. Because they all deal with this theme of rewards. And so the basic outline for this sermon is this. We're going to talk about two different kinds of reward. First, the reward that the hypocrites seek. And second, the reward that Jesus tells us we should seek instead. You can see, if you look at the text, uh, it's there in your bulletin in front of you, or in your Bible, if you have one with you. You can see, if you look at it, that Jesus' teaching here has a very definite pattern. In verse 1, he gives a kind of summary statement of this whole section, when he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's sort of our summary of the whole section, which Jesus then fleshes out with three examples. In verses 2 to 4, he talks about charitable giving, giving to the needy. In verses 5 and 6, he talks about prayer. And in verses 16 to 18, he talks about fasting. So there's three paragraphs that match each other very closely. Charitable giving, prayer, and fasting. Jesus picks these three things because they're all kind of hallmarks, characteristic activities of the righteous, pious person. If you found out that the person sitting in front of you or behind you in the pew had given a whole bunch of money to the poor, you'd probably think, wow, what a good person, right? Or if you uh, found out that they were deep in prayer for hours and hours every day and observed special fasts. You might think that they sounded like a very spiritual person. But Jesus brings up these three activities not to commend them to us, but actually to warn us about them. Jesus assumes that, of course, we are going to do these things, to give charitably, to pray, and to fast, But when you do, he says, don't do it the way the hypocrites do it. Three times in these three paragraphs, Jesus warns us about the hypocrites. That word, hypocrite, is an ancient Greek word, and it refers to stage actors. 
people who make their living putting on masks and playing a part in a play, putting on a character. And so you can see how it got the meaning that it has in English today, right? Uh, a hypocrite, in the way that we use the word and the way that Jesus is using it here, is someone who puts on an act, who puts on a character that doesn't match the reality of who they really are. They act like they care about something, but really they could care less. Or they act like they're doing things for one reason, but really their motives are completely different. These are the kind of people Jesus is warning us about. And not so much warning us about, as warning us not to become. Religious hypocrites, who do all the right things, all the things that a good person, a spiritual person ought to do, but only as a kind of act, only in a phony way, only for the wrong reasons. These hypocrites, when they give money to the poor, they make a big show of it, so that everyone in the church finds out about it and says, wow, what a good God. And when they pray, they love to do it in a place where other people will see them and say, wow, she must really love God. And when they fast, they go out of their way to look weak with hunger so that everyone will see them and say, oh, wow, that guy's fasting. He must be so spiritual. Jesus warns us not to become one of these hypocrites. Why? Not because he thinks it's too risky. His warning isn't, don't be like those hypocrites because people might find out and then they won't like you anymore. No, Jesus is actually much more realistic than that. He knows that actually, hypocrites usually get away with it. With a little practice, any of us can become very successful hypocrites. We can learn to fool most people most of the time. We can learn even to fool ourselves. Three times, Jesus says about the hypocrites, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They wanted people to see them, to approve of them, to admire them, and they got what they wanted. They got what they wanted. The hypocrites got the reward they were seeking, but they missed out on a better reward. They missed out on the thing they should have been seeking. And so Jesus wants the crowds listening to him back in ancient Galilee, and he wants us today to learn how to get that better reward. And here's what he says. When you make a charitable gift or give money to someone in need, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Keep it that secret. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door so that nobody can see or hear you. When you fast, do your best to look like someone who's not fasting. Keep your fast to yourself. When you give like this, when you pray like this, when you fast like this, nobody will hear you, nobody will see you, nobody will know what you did, and nobody will give you any credit for what you did. Nobody will ever know, except your Father who sees in secret. And Jesus tells us three times, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So that's the pattern that repeats three times in these verses we're looking at this morning. 
when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Don't do it to be seen and praised by people like the hypocrites do. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you do these things, do them in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If you're here with us regularly, you've heard Father David talk many times over the last few weeks about how Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is always getting right to the heart of things. And that's true again this week, isn't it? What Jesus is emphasizing is not so much whether we do things in public or in secret. After all, in other places, Jesus teaches us to pray together with other people, like we've been doing all morning here today. So it's not as if he wants us only ever to pray alone in our rooms. Even charitable giving and fasting, I guess, might in some contexts appropriately take place in a public or semi-public way. You can't always keep those things um, totally secret. But Jesus' emphasis and focus here is not ultimately on whether we're doing things in public or in secret. It's on the reason that we're doing them. His focus is on the reward on which our heart is set. And for all of us, the danger is that we'll set our heart on the wrong reward. That we will seek the approval and the praise of people. Seeking the approval and praise of people can lead to phony religious play acting, like the kind that Jesus is talking about here. But isn't it interesting that the very same motivation can also lead in the other direction? The person who seeks the approval of others when he's at church or when he's at synagogue may be tempted to act super spiritual. But the very same person in a society that's pretty hostile to faith in general, when he's out with his friends or when he's at school or work, might be tempted to act less religious than he really is or to hide her faith in God. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, has to warn us both ways, doesn't he? Last time that I was up here preaching to you, we were looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus says, Don't hide your light under a basket, but let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's warning us there, not to hide our religion, not to hide the faith and the good works that God has given us. Acting religious so that others will see, or hiding your religion so that others can't see, outwardly these look like opposite behaviors, but the truth is that they come from the same heart disorder. They both come from seeking our reward from people. And Jesus redirects us instead to look for the reward that comes from God, our Father in heaven, our Father who sees in secret. So what kind of reward is it, do you think, that the Father gives? When the Bible speaks this way about God rewarding us, it's important for us to understand what this doesn't mean doesn't mean that we'll be rich. It doesn't mean that God will grant us wishes like a genie. And hear this one, please. It doesn't mean that God only gives us good things if we earn them by good behavior. No, that's the very opposite of what God is like. 
Remember, that's what Jesus was talking about in the passage we read just last week. Right? He said, love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That's what our Father is like. And according to Jesus, the whole basis of our relationship with God is that our Father loves us even when we're not good. And he shows his love even to the evil and the unjust, like us. Of course, we receive our Father's love most of all in Jesus himself. And the Father didn't send Jesus into the world to save us as a reward for how good we were, right? Quite the contrary. While we were still God's enemies, that best and most precious thing that God gave us, when the Father reconciled us to himself by the sacrifice of his Son, it came not as a reward, but as the free gift of his love. So if we're to have any hope of understanding what the rewards Jesus is talking about in this passage are, we need first to be very clear that God's love isn't a reward. It's a gift. Your Father in heaven doesn't love you because of how you give or how you pray or how you fast. He loves you because of who he is and because of what he's done to make you his own in Jesus Christ. Now, a good father, even among us humans, a good father loves his child no matter what she does. And our Heavenly Father is certainly like that. Having made us his own in Jesus Christ, he loves us forever and unconditionally. A good father's love for his child is constant. But his pleasure in his child is something a bit different. His pleasure in his child may grow or shrink moment to moment, depending on what that child is doing. When father and child are playing together and enjoying each other's company, when the father observes the child making good use of her intelligence or imagination or courage, when the child obeys the father's good instructions, showing her trust in him, then the father will be pleased and delighted with his child. But when a child is resisting her father's good instructions, when she disobeys him or lies to him, when she uses her gifts to do something wicked instead of something good, then the father will be grieved with his child. He still loves her. He loves her every bit as much, no matter what she does. But the father's pleasure in his child depends not only on his love, but also on how she actually lives. And I think it's something like this that Jesus has in mind when he tells us not to seek our reward from other people, but to seek the reward that only our Father can give. Jesus wants us to live not for the approval and pleasure of other people, but for the pleasure and delight of the Father, who has lovingly adopted us as his own. That's the great and awesome reward he wants us to hold out for. The reward of hearing our Father say, I'm pleased with you. I'm enjoying watching you. I'm proud of you. Well done, good and faithful child. Enter into the joy of your Father. That's the reward 
that Jesus wants for us. The hypocrites, they've received their paltry reward, but you, Christian, don't you settle for anything less than this reward, the great and awesome reward of bringing pleasure to the one who has given you everything, of bringing joy to your Father's heart. This is what the Bible is getting at when in many different places it describes the whole life of the Christian as a thank offering, a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. By the work of his son Jesus on the cross, our Father has given us the free gift of forgiveness, of salvation, of adoption as his children. And so we are free to live our whole lives simply as a joyful thank you to the Father. And that's what charitable giving is supposed to be. There are lots of good reasons to give to people who are in need, but the highest of them all is that giving to others is a way of saying thank you to God for what he has given us. Brothers and sisters, the truth is that we have received God's abundant and life-giving charity in Jesus Christ. That's why we can give to those around us with joyful hearts, even if nobody else is ever going to find out about us or give us any credit. And when we give, not because it will make other people admire us, not even because it will make us feel like good people, but simply because we're grateful to God for what he's given us, then it's rewarding. It's rewarding because it pleases our Father. Or when we pray, not to impress other people, not to convince ourselves that we're good Christians, but simply because we want to be with and to talk with our Heavenly Father, it's rewarding. Because it brings joy to our Father and brings us closer to Him. When we pray in that way, even alone in our room where no one else can see, Jesus doesn't promise us that we'll have a profound emotional experience, or a deep sense of inner peace, or an amazing mystical vision. Maybe we will, but maybe we probably usually won't. What he does promise us is something amazing. Jesus promises us that every single time we seek the Father in prayer, he will be there. Whether or not we feel at the end like we've had a good prayer time, the truth is that our Father will be there with us and for us, and he will listen to what we want to tell him. That's an amazing thing. Or take fasting. There's a lot we could say about fasting. Christians are nowhere in Scripture commanded to fast, but there are several different biblical reasons why we may fast, and there's some church traditions to fast at particular times. We'll have to get into all that in some other sermon, but for today, suffice it to say that at their core all the different reasons that the Bible gives for fasting have to do with becoming more aware of our dependence on God and of his provision for us. When we fast, we express and we also discover how much more important God is to us than food or whatever else it is that we're giving up. When we fast in that way, not to convince other people that we're super spiritual, not to convince ourselves, but simply to express and discover how deep our need for God is 
and how great his abundant meeting of that need is, then it's rewarded. By practicing our trust in God, we learn something ourselves, we receive from him in a new way, and we make our Father glad. Not only in giving, praying, and fasting, but in every good work that God gives us to do. In friendship, in marriage, in celibacy, in evangelism, in leading worship, in parenting, in mopping floors, in doing the dishes. In every good work that God has given us to do, Jesus confronts us with this challenge. What reward are you seeking? What reward are you seeking? Are you seeking the approval and admiration of other people? Are you seeking to shore up your own conscience by making yourself feel like a good and spiritual person? Or are you seeking the pleasure of your Father in heaven? Are you doing it so that your neighbors will see, or so that your pastor will see, or so that your Facebook friends will see? Or would you do it even if only your father could see? For God's eyes only would you do it. What reward are you seeking? It's a hard question to answer. We can't see very deeply into other people's hearts. And the truth is that we can't even see our own hearts as clearly as we often think or wish. But our father who sees in secret, knows. The Bible tells us over and over again that God searches the heart, that he weighs the heart, that he tests the heart, that he knows its secrets. This is potentially quite scary, isn't it? Because the truth is, we're all rather more like those hypocrites Jesus mentioned than we'd like to admit. There's plenty that we would like to hide about ourselves and about our real motivations for doing things. We'd like to put on an outward show to keep people from knowing those things. And maybe we can fool a lot of the people we'd like to fool, including ourselves, but we can't fool God. We can't fool God. We can't hide anything from our Father who sees in secret, to whom as we already prayed in our liturgy this morning, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. That's sobering news. That's maybe even terrifying news. But it's also very good news. Because the Bible also assures us that in each one of us who's trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is at work to renew and reorient our whole heart down to its very bottom. God is searching the depths of our hearts. Even as we sit here listening to his word this morning, he's searching the depths of our hearts and exposing the things that need to change, the things that we need to let him change. And he won't quit. He'll keep working on us patiently and faithfully until we become like the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus is preaching here in this whole sermon, he also lives out perfectly in his own life, doesn't he? His righteousness was never a mere performance for the benefit of other people. 
He never put on a show to get people to like him. He was the very opposite of a people pleaser. Instead, Jesus lived his whole life in the perfect freedom of being totally devoted to his Father's will. That's why he was able, even under intense pressure from the crowds, from the Pharisees, from King Herod and Governor Pilate, even from his own disciples a lot of the time, even under all that intense pressure to change his program, to fit in with the rest of his society, to live for himself, to compromise on certain things. Under all that pressure, Jesus lived for his Father alone, for his Father's eyes only. His heart was set on nothing but the reward of living for and pleasing his Father. And in that way, he won our salvation on the cross. Brothers and sisters, let's pray together now to close. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you and thank you for the salvation that you won for us, by which we have become true children of your Father in heaven. And Heavenly Father, we ask you to purify our hearts and our motives by your Holy Spirit, so that we can become like your Son, Jesus, living not for the approval of others, but for your eyes only, not seeking the reward of other people's admiration, but seeking only to please you, our wonderful, perfect, loving Father. Amen.